Then Jesus went about, teaching in all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness. What do you suppose it was like when Jesus rolled into town? I have a picture in my imagination of people being drawn to him almost like metal to a magnet because I, I believe that his presence connected with people, that when he saw people, he really saw them. He didn't just look at them, he saw them in ways that they couldn't ignore, in ways that healed what in them was broken. I don't think anyone could ignore him. Even the people who were annoyed by him couldn't ignore him. Just his look, I think, drew people close. And everything about Jesus' ministry in this brief reading is about making connections. It's about opening new and life-giving ways for people to be in the world. Sharing his life and his love and his compassion and his intersection of his life with theirs. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were help, help, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers for the harvest. Over the last 1,800 years or so, there's been some disagreement about what what is the harvest that Jesus is talking about. Now, I grew up in uh, an evangelical tradition that clearly saw the harvest as converts, souls to be saved, tickets to heaven to be sold, Notches on your evangelism gun. And, and it was a gun, Sam. <laughs> now we're in the bureaucratic mainline church, which frankly still thinks of the harvest as converts. But it seems like the bureaucracy is more concerned about butts in the pew and bucks in the plate. That's how you're considered a successful pastor and a good laborer. In the vineyard. But when Jesus was out with the crowd, he's not telling them to go to church or synagogue, right? There was no church then. He's healing, he's liberating, he's bringing them the good news that they're starving for, he's curing every disease and sickness. So it makes us think that church isn't the place where we count the harvest or store the harvest. Rather, the church is the place where we train the laborers for the harvest, where we all learn how to be the laborers in the vineyard or in the field. Church is the place where we learn discipleship, how to be and live and love like Jesus. Church is the people among whom we practice authentic, life-changing community. Church is the place 
where we practice real communication, life-changing learning, heart-changing love. Church is where we learn to connect and intersect and wrestle. And we meet and intersect with and wrestle with the God that we meet in Jesus Christ. We practice living in love here so we can live this connection and this intersecting more powerfully out in the world where Jesus calls us. This morning I spoke with one of you as you came in and said, why the somber face? And the answer was, the world. Our world needs this loving connection. It needed it in Jesus' day, and it needs it in our own. The Greek that's translated as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, the crowds that Jesus saw, it implies exhaustion. It implies being cast aside, weak and faint and tossed about, lost. It implies being flayed and whipped and skinned alive. Does that sound familiar? Some days, some weeks, into that feeling of being harassed and helpless. We and the world need all the help and all the connection we can get. Stephen shared a few minutes ago about our annual conference meeting in Manchester, New Hampshire. During the day, there was all kinds of conference business to attend to, and during one very special evening was the ordination for new elders and deacons. It totally rocked. It totally, that rocked, yes. Um, and some of it was really painful and exhausting, as, as Steve shared. Uh, but after business hours, uh, some of the delegates would occasionally go uh, frequent a little place called Castro's Back Room, uh, which was a wonderfully, or is, a wonderfully gritty little cigar bar on the main drag in Manchester. So as part of the folks who frequent that place, one evening we found ourselves sitting at a table next to three guys in their 20s. Um, And we got chatting with them. One was a white man who was a recovering alcoholic drinking Red Bull, which I think is maybe an addiction all of its own. The second was, another was a second generation uh, son of a Haitian pastor. And the third was an African-American gentleman who installs heating and cooling systems around New Hampshire. And when they learned we were pastors, they immediately began to unload about church. This happens a lot. They all had church experience of one kind or another, though... Mostly the other. Yeah, tellingly, none of them attend church now. The three of them, in their, their own discussion with each other, agreed that, quote, all religions are basically the same. They're about tolerance and love. They also agreed that they hadn't found any tolerance or love in the churches that they knew. Instead, they'd felt judged 
for who they were, without people knowing their backstory or learning the why of their choices or the mistakes they'd made. One said, look, I know that my partying and stuff was empty and stupid, but it's like I'm not allowed back because I did these things. They felt like the church had held them up to these unrealistic demands of moral perfection, and then when they inevitably failed to meet that perfection, there was no recourse for them to return. Now, the two of us were musing out loud with them that Jesus' message was all about being welcomed back into God's love, like the prodigal son was welcomed back home and, by the father. And they all knew the parable. They all we knew the parable. We didn't have to tell them what it was. They're, they were right there. But they felt that their churches acted more like the older brother in that story the older brother of the prodigal son, the one who resented his coming home. And they were the ones that offered that up. Church is more like the older brother, they said. And that was hard to hear because we want church to be like the prodigal's father. We want church to be people who are dropping everything to run down the road and welcome and celebrate and honor those who wish to come. And so the five of us got talking about how church could be different. What would a church be that they would feel welcome in? How could these three guys, who sometimes felt harassed and helpless, what kind of church would they like? They did share some experiences that they'd had of grace, though on the whole not in the church. The guy who was in recovery said that where he found grace was a 12-step program that he sort of stumbled into after a suicide attempt that he said saved my life. And the stern pastor's kid talked about the healing they felt from their mom when their dad couldn't be welcoming of who they were and how they lived. But, for their, but in their experience, like many younger folk, the church was not there for them. And when, when church was met with the challenge of meeting those who were helpless and harassed, those who were discouraged and debilitated, they mostly found closed doors and judgment and hypocrisy. It was a sobering conversation. But here's something we noticed as we looked back on the conversation with these three guys in a smoke-filled dive bar in the least, one of the least religious cities in America, according to Barna. I'm struck by how easy it was to talk to these guys about faith, about their church experience, to ask them what they wished was different. I'm struck by how comfortable they were. In fact, they were hungry to talk about this. And not just because we were pastors. No, I don't think. that allowed them a, a passport into the conversation. But once it started, man, they, they led it. For those of us, especially in the mainline church, who are afraid to talk about faith with people, 
this experience suggests, suggests to us that, that many people outside the church are a good deal more interested in the discussion than we're thinking they are. Folk are already thinking about God. Folk are already thinking about hope and about the holy, and they are hungry to talk meaningfully about topics of death and belonging and transcendence and spirituality. And they are seriously searching for connection. They just don't have a lot of opportunities to talk about it. And they haven't found most churches to be very safe or very helpful in this regard either. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I think Jesus is talking to us. I think he's asking us to become the laborers in the harvest, those who welcome and celebrate all who come harassed and helpless, all who come unwelcome and lonely and wondering about God because sometimes they've been told that God is things that God is not. I believe that's what we're about here, or at least that's what we do our best to be about. We, we work at it. Now, it's important to remember, we were reading an article by Barbara Brown Taylor that reminded us of this, is we don't go as non-harassed and helpless people out out to the harassed and helpless. We are harassed and helpless too. As were those first disciples. Especially right now, not just you know, with, with work, with responsibilities, with all the stuff, and as a culture, as a world, as a planet, coming out of COVID-19, we're all feeling harassed and helpless. The, the, the impact this pandemic has had on our planet, uh, millions dead, Hundreds of millions suffering long-term repercussions. Billions suffering sadness and sickness and boredom and disconnection. The strains of COVID are felt here too. In our personal lives, yes. And also in the connections to this community. Some of which are still diminished. And as we're coming out of this pandemic, we are working to rebuild those connections. And there's still a long way to go. And so we'll say again, if you hear Jesus' invitation to go out and be the laborers in the harvest, and you're feeling pretty harassed and helpless yourself, Jesus meets you there, just as he met the disciples there. I think when he said that to the disciples, they said, this isn't in the scripture, but you know it, was, it happened. Uh, us? And Jesus said, yeah, you, go. Tell the good news. Know that God goes with you. Tend to those in need. Make connections to those who need connection. Let God be what flows through you to the world. And I imagine the disciples hearing it and thinking, Okay, and they did go. And God did work through them, and the world has never been the same. St. Paul, 
wrote that for people of faith, suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Now, it doesn't always work that nicely. Sometimes suffering just produces pain. But I believe that when we offer our suffering, our endurance, our character to God, love and hope is poured into our hearts in such abundance that we have plenty to share with those around us. So a couple weeks ago, we were humbly challenged by three dudes in a bar, right? To go and be the church in the world. And today we bring that challenge to you as well as to ourselves. Believing that the ministry of Harvard Epworth as we move beyond COVID and into the coming months will be about making connections and reconnections in the community around us and in the community that is this congregation. Will be the place of healing and hope and grace the place that reaches out to share the connection with all who are harassed and helpless, even ourselves, especially those on the margins. The harvest is plentiful, my friends. Jesus sends us out, and Jesus meets us there as well. Amen. And in keeping with our Draw.